Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Let's get our Bibles to go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. We've been talking about joy all summer long. And last week I talked about finding joy from your past because sometimes our past can invade our present and it can rob us of our joy. And so we talked about how Paul said, all the things that I count as gain, I now count as loss. And what he was doing was he was relabeling his past. Some of those things that we would think of as assets from our past, which in fact drew us further from Christ, we need to relabel as liabilities. And some of those events in our life that were unpleasant or hurtful or whatever, that we in the moment thought of as a bad experience, but in fact, those were the very things that drove us to Christ. We need to relabel that as an asset. And then forget the past. Forget it. Leave it behind. He said, and Paul said that. He said, forgetting what lies behind, I press on. We can't live our lives in the rearview mirror. And so we have to forget those things that would bring guilt and remorse and regret and all that other junk into our life if we're ever going to discover joy. We've got to find it. You say, okay, I'm good with that. But I need joy right now. I need joy to get me through this day. I need some right now joy because right now joy is hard to find. Okay, this happened to me, not this past week, but the week before. I got back from family camp on Thursday and had a root canal. Um, and I was so grateful for that root canal. You know you need a root canal when you're looking forward to a root canal. Uh, I'd been hurting for a week. And uh, let me just shout out to Daniel Cassis, all-time greatest root canal guy in the world. I'm pain-free today. Bless you, Daniel Cassis. Dr. Daniel Cassis. <laughs> So I'm free, I'm pain-free kind of getting over the root canal thing. Saturday, my, my son Micah calls and he says, my riding lawnmower quit working. It won't work. Can we fix it? I'm like, yeah, okay. So I, I, let's bring it over to the house. And so I go with my trailer and I pick up his riding lawnmower. We bring it over to the house. And I, I got to admit to you, I had almost zero hope of fixing this riding lawnmower. Um, but from the grace and sovereignty of God, and some YouTube videos, and just some blind luck, we managed to fix the riding lawnmower. Well, I was such a disbeliever that once we unloaded the riding lawnmower, I went ahead and parked the trailer thinking that riding lawnmower is going to sit here forever until we take it somewhere where somebody can fix it. And so I'd left the trailer in the backyard, and we got it fixed, and it's getting a little dusky, and I was like, if we want to get this riding lawnmower back to your house, we got to do it right now because my trailer lights don't work, Okay. Please don't tell law enforcement. If you're in law enforcement, please forget what I just said. My trailer lights don't work. It's Louisiana, right? And so I got to get it before dark. And so we're, I drive around back to get it. And let me set this up. I'm driving around the backyard. About eight to 10 years ago, my son Matthew gave my son Andrew a hatchet throwing thing for Christmas, which is basically one of those kind of boards made out of wood, and it's, they've used it so much they've had to replace it several times, but it's all stuck in with hatchets and swords and knives and anything else they can think that's got a sharp tip that'll be pointed that they could stick in it. And most of the time it just sits in the backyard unless there's a get-together, a party, a family thing, and then everybody goes and throws hatchets again. Well, while I'm gone at family camp, 
my sons and a lot of my adopted sons, see, I got a lot of adopted sons. Everybody asks me, hey, what's it like to have four sons? I'm like, I don't know. I always had about 20. So all my adopted sons are over at the house, right? And what are they going to do? They're going to throw hatchets. But you know what they're not going to do? They're not going to pick up all the hatchets. So I'm driving around to the backyard, and all of a sudden, the front left tire on the truck goes, and we stop. I was like, what just happened? Micah jumps out, runs around back, and picks up a hatchet. Dad, you just drove over a hatchet. I somehow managed, and I couldn't do this again if I tried, I managed to drive over the hatchet in just such a way that it flipped over on its edge, got the blade against the side of the tire, and tomahawked my tire. There's like a four-inch gap in the side of my tire. <sighs> now I got a flat tire and all that, so we went and grabbed Amy's car, and we hook the trailer up, take his tractor home, his lawnmower home. I come back. People ask me, what do you do on Saturday night to prepare for Sunday morning? I've got a picture. Here's what I do. I crawl in the dirt under cars to fix tires that have been blown out by my children who don't pick up their hatchets. That's what I do. <laughs> Call the tire place. A couple of days later, they get the tire in, replace the tire, walk out the door, $319, one tire. Have y'all priced tires lately? Yeah, this inflation thing is real, right? But Micah said this to me. Micah said, Dad, I can see Jesus working in you because you handled that way better than you used to. <laughs> Here's my point. Stuff's going to happen. It's always going to happen. You're going to get root canals. You're going to somehow tomahawk your tire. I asked the guy at the tire place, I said, have you ever heard of this before? And he said, that's a first for me, which I was kind of proud of. You can't predict it. You can't predict, well, I'm, I better be careful. I may drive over a hatchet today and tomahawk my tire. You don't know what's going to happen. But here's the thing. If you're going to have joy, you have to find it right now in that place. When all that stuff is happening, because here's what you have to realize, life will never be perfect. And if you think life has to be perfect to find joy, then you will never know joy. If you want real joy, you have to find it right now, right where you are. If you have to move 10 inches to find joy, you will never find it. And that's a command from God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. He says it again. He says, I've been saying this, and the book of Philippians is a book of joy. Rejoice in the Lord. He says, it's not a bad thing. I have to say it again. I'll keep saying it. It's a safeguard for you. Because he'd already said it in 2.18. He said, yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. He's going to say it again in 4.4. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And every time he says it, it's in the imperative mood, which means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an idea. It's a command. We are called to be people of joy. And there's nothing quite so magnetic as joy. You're like, well, then how can I do that? In a world of root canals and blown tires and hurts and heartaches and disappointment and despair, where am I going to find joy right now? Well, Paul gives us the insight. Here's the first one. I need to fall in love with Jesus. 
You talk about speaking Jesus. You got, it starts with, look at verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Now, Paul is saying, embrace the same values and priorities and values you see in me. And remember, he's just talked about his trophies and accolades. He said, look, if you, wanna, if you guys think you can find God's approval through your performance, if you want to put your confidence in the flesh, I'm better at that than anybody. I was baby of the month down at the local synagogue. I grew up a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee. He said, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, I had all that stuff. And yet he said, but all of that stuff I count as loss. And then he goes one more. He goes, in fact, I count it all as rubbish. And remember, that word is manure. I count it all as manure in light of the knowledge of finding Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Not only is he the only way to salvation, he's the only way to joy. You have to, it comes down to this. You've got to learn to love Jesus more than the world. Keep reading. Look what he says in verse 18. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, so his heart's broken at this, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And I'm I'm grieving over this. Look, here's why. Verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame. And here's why. Who set their minds on earthly things. Now look. This world is a noisy, entertaining, seductive place. And it's not that you can't enjoy the world. You got that? It's not that you can't find pleasure in those things. It's it's not that we can't, you know, enjoy what's around us and enjoy moments and scenery and sunsets and all. It's not that God ever intended us not to enjoy the world. I mean, He made it. And he wants us to enjoy it. What he's saying is don't become obsessed with it. You know, there's that beautiful line in Romans where he says, for those who are according to the flesh, the natural man, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, they set their minds on the things of the spirit. And that's what he's talking about. And our challenge as believers is to live in this noisy, obsessive world and not become obsessed with it ourselves. Jesus in his high priestly prayer said, Father, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. I, I pray that you'd protect them in the world. And that's our challenge. It's like this, being in the world and still not being of the world is like walking a tightrope. And we have to constantly be reminded who we belong to and where our real citizenship is. You know, uh, Peter said, we're aliens and strangers. We're just passing through. Don't fall too in love with the scenery. And look what he says in verse 20, Philippians 3, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we all we also from which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Everything on this planet is terminal but the kingdom of heaven is eternal. It's so hard to explain that this world is going to let you down. Uh, The stuff that we put so much focus on is going to deteriorate. That's why Jesus said, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. If you become obsessed with this world, I can promise you this world is going to steal your joy. You need something more. You've got to fall in love with Jesus again. That's what it's all about. That's what Paul's urging them toward. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, and remember when we see therefore, what do we always ask? What it's there for. And it's connecting back everything he just said in chapter 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and be conformed to his death, that I have all things I have considered loss in, in view of that. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see in my joy and crown, in this way, stand firm. Where? In the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm in the Lord. That's where we find our strength. That's where we find our salvation. And that's where we find our joy. And so you got to fall in love with Jesus. If you've never done that, that's where you begin. You know, you're, you're like, I don't, I don't understand why I don't have joy. And you're living according to the precepts of this world, and it's never going to happen in your life. Look at our world today. They've got more stuff, more experiences, more everything, and, and they've got more depression, despair, and all the things that go with it. It's just not going to happen there. You need Jesus. And if you've already got Jesus, you need to remember who He is. Fall in love with Him again. Secondly, I have to make peace a priority. You'll never find joy living at the edge of your nerves and at the top of your lungs. Joy hates chaos and conflict, but it loves peace. And this is a repeated theme in the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. For the scripture says, if you want to enjoy life, you see that word, enjoy. If I want to be filled with joy in this life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace. Here it is. Search for peace, circle that word, and work to maintain it. Romans 14, 19. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. In other words, stop working to stir things up and work to calm things down. Stop being a person that's always sort of keeping things stirred up and be the kind of person who becomes peaceable and a peacemaker. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? What will they be called? The sons of God. And God wants us to be people who live at peace, right? They had a problem in the church in Philippi. They had these two strong-headed, strong-willed women who were going after each other, and, and the conflict was broadening within the church, and it was threatening the peace of the church. So Paul gets very specific, something he rarely does. He names names. Chapter 4, verse 2, I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. And their names are interesting because Euodia means good way or success, and syntyche means happy event. So success is that conflict with happiness. You talk about irony. These two women, I don't know what they did in the church. We really don't know the problem. Notice he doesn't even address the problem. He doesn't address the argument. Uh, the cause isn't really important. What's important is that the church lives in harmony. And man, you look at the church today, Where's the harmony? Where's the peace? I know right now in the state of Louisiana, a, a, a church where the members have sued the pastor 
because they want to see the financial records and the pastor won't let them. And so the pastor had a business meeting and, and they got together and they kicked all the people that were suing the church out of the church. So they filed another lawsuit to be reinstated in the church. It went before a judge, and the judge said, first of all, on the first suit, you've got to uh, let them see the financial records. On the second suit, I can't help you. You're out of the church. Who won that? Satan won. I know another church where a, a pastor sued some church members because they were saying ugly and libelous things against him. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, if I sued everybody that said something ugly about me, I would stay in court. <laughs> if you want to be in ministry, you got to have two things, tight lip and thick skin. But he sued them. They dropped the suit, but the damage is already done, you know. What's happened in the church is this conflict is just so resident that people can't even see Jesus. You know, the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. And, and that's a beautiful image of a bride coming down an aisle, you know, dressed in white. But I think what's happened is we now have this brawling bride. Looks like she just came out of a UFC cage match. And, you know, her hair's all messed up and her, her dress is torn and her makeup smeared and smashed around. She looks like some grotesque caricature of what a bride ought to look like. She looks like, you know, some, some horror movie bride, the bride of Frankenstein or something. I don't know. Instead of the bride of Christ. No wonder nobody wants to come be a part of that. Her reputation is ruined. He says, work out the conflict, man. Seek peace. Be willing to lose if you have to. Has that ever occurred to you that sometimes it's better to lose just to have peace? Give up your rights. Seek forgiveness. Give forgiveness. And get some outside help if you need to. Look at what he says. Indeed, true comrade. We don't know who this guy was, but he was so close to Paul that Paul didn't have to name his name. He knew who he was. Hey, buddy. That's his buddy. That's his partner. Hey, partner. Help these guys. Look, I ask you also to help these women who've shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. These aren't bad women. They're just women who are in conflict, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You got to resolve it. Here's the best advice I've ever heard on conflict resolution. Ephesians 4, verse 26 and 27. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. We talked about this at family camp this year every night. The first thing is, own your anger. He said, be angry and don't sin. Own your anger. Be angry. Don't pretend you're not angry. When you're angry, own that anger. Don't say, well, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. And you know there's smoke coming out of your ears. But he says, but in, in being angry, control your temper. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let it get out of control. Learn to express your feelings. Send an assertive message. When you do that, it makes me feel this way. Don't project blame. Don't let the conflict broaden. Don't use words you can never take back. Like, I've always thought your nose was ugly. You know? You can't take those words back. Don't broaden it beyond the current conflict. Just be angry. Own your emotions Con, con, express your emotions in a constructive way where you're uh, expressing your feelings. When you do this, it makes me feel this way. And then resolve it. Resolve the conflict. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. 
And, and I, we talked about this at, at family camp. The Jewish day started at dusk the night before. So what he's saying is don't start a new day with an old hurt. Man, I know people in families, I know husbands and wives, they've been mad at each other for three years. They never get over it. They never get over anything. There are some people I know who never get over anything. Never start a new day with a man. I know there was, I heard about this couple that was in conflict. In so much conflict, they had to go see a counselor. And so they're sitting in the counselor and he can tell, man, this is an ongoing problem. I don't know if we're going to be able to help here, but he's looking for anything. At one point, she says, Well, hon, why don't you tell him what you said to me? And the counselor stepped in and said, Well, now that's positive. She called you hun. And he said, What are you talking about? She's been calling me that for years, Attila the hun. That's what she calls me. Some of you guys think you're married to Attila the Hun, you know? You live in conflict. You've got to resolve it. Stop holding on to those old hurts. Let it go. You find forgiveness in Jesus. You give what you've been given and you live at peace. Look, he says it again, chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Now watch this, verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Stop being that person that stirs it up and become that person that calms it down. Because you can't find joy in a, in a hurricane of chaos. And then I have to battle my anxiety. The Bible says anxiety in the heart of man weighs it down. And just like you're going to struggle to find joy in conflict, you're going to struggle to find it in anxiety. So I have to battle it. Look at verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You say, man, that's awesome, wonderful. I'd love to get rid of my anxiety. Look, I'm not pretending this is easy because when stress begins to overwhelm us, it turns into distress. And when distress begins to settle in, anxiety settles in on our heart. And let me just say this. Sometimes anxiety can become so acute that you need to seek counseling or medication to help. There's nothing wrong with that. Just remember that medicine's not the solution. At some point, you have to deal with the cause. My, my cardiologist, I had a, a phone doctor visit on the way uh, from uh, Shreveport. We had to go to the hospital in Shreveport this week. And so I'm talking to him on the phone. He's like, how's your blood pressure? And I'm like, ah, it's been better. And he's like, well, and, and, you know, they always start to meddle, you know. I mean, he's like, well, you need to take your medicine. And then he says this. But you know, medicine's not going to solve the problem. And I don't ask him what is. He just keeps going. He says it's all about diet and exercise. I'm sick of hearing that, aren't you? <laughs> diet and exercise, like I'm not in shape. Round is a shape, you know? <laughs> I'm tired of hearing it. He doesn't think that stuff's funny. I mean, if you need to with anxiety, it's the same way. Do what you have to do if it gets on top of you. But you got to deal with the source. And here we go. Start with prayer. He says, in everything by prayer and supplication. Uh, one, one translation says, worry about nothing, pray about everything. Prayer should be our first step instead of the last resort. And then you add to that gratitude. He says, with thanksgiving. And I don't really understand fully how this works. But a grateful spirit seems to do something to stress. It seems to wash it out. I don't know why. Maybe it's because it puts it into perspective. Like I said, I've got a lot of adopted sons through the years. And one of them is a guy named Taylor. Taylor's a nut. One day we were having a fireworks thing 
I wasn't there, but the boys were. They told me the story that Taylor had taken one of these large firecrackers about, you know, three inches long, about as big as a cigar, and he lit it, and he was smoking it like he was smoking, like like that. And they're like, Taylor, you're freaking me out. Throw that away. And he's like smoking it. And then he goes, boom. Then the thing to get six inches from his hand, boom. And everybody's like, what just happened? And Taylor looked around and he went, just in time. <laughs> I love a guy like that because I would have had a heart attack and I'd have had, my life would have passed before my eyes. I almost killed myself. Can you believe it? Not Taylor, just in time. God's grace is like a seam of gold running through your life and gratitude helps mine the gold. Look at the promise. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I can't explain it, but this supernatural power of God sets up over your heart and it guards it. But don't stop there. One last thing. I have to guard what I let into my head. You know, life hates vacuums. Let me be clear. I said life hates vacuums. I didn't say my wife hates the vacuum. Life hates vacuum. And in the Spirit, the same thing is true. You know, Jesus in Luke 11 tells a story, says if you clean out an unclean spirit from a person's life and you don't replace that with the power of the Holy Spirit, that unclean spirit will go through the desert places and gather up seven demons, seven more spirits, more powerful than itself, and come and the state of that person will become worse than it was at the first. And, and what he means by that is the very thing I'm saying. You can't just fixed your life by getting rid of anxiety and stress and conflict and these things. you got to put something back that will fill it. And that's exactly what Paul goes to here because he begins to talk about filling your head. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, a man is what he thinks about all day long. And I think that's exactly what Paul says in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure. I love this word. Whatever is lovely. I've got to admit that I don't think much about what is lovely. My wife does, but I don't. Whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, look what he says. Dwell. Don't just think about it in pa- Dwell on these things. In other words, you've got to guard your mind. You may be like me. It's easier to dwell on problems. It's easier to dwell on hurts and sorrow and heartache and all that other junk. It's so much easier. That's the natural default of life. So I have to be very intentional and very disciplined to fill my mind with things that are true and honorable and good and excellent and even lovely. Here's why. When you have good things in you, then those good things change how you respond to all the bad things that are happening around you. Trust me, that will change how you respond when you pop a $319 tire with a hatchet that your son left laying on the ground. And it changes your self-talk. I'm honestly, here's my self-talk in that moment. Boom, we just blew out a tire. Boom, another thing has happened in my life. 
at that moment, I got to ask myself, what am I going to say to myself? And here's what I said in that moment. First thing I said was that tire is of this earth. And this earth and everything that's in it is passing away. So I have to realize that if I have a material object, that eventually that material object is going to let me down. Secondly, I have to look at what I already have. And I said, you know what? I'm so grateful to have a truck that has a tire because for a good bit of my life, I would have been trying to carry things around in an old beater uh, car because I didn't have anything else. And that God has allowed me to have a truck and a trailer to pull behind that truck, even if it doesn't have lights. Um, I'm good to go. But you know what I realized even more? I'm grateful for the fact that I got to spend several hours with my 27-year-old son to help work on his dumb old beater lawnmower and then have an experience in life with a hatchet and a tire. And here's what I said to myself. Blowing a tire is not going to blow my joy. That's an intentional response that we have to have if we're going to have right now joy. Because life is never going to be perfect. Look how he wraps it up. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice, poieo, do these things, and the peace of God will be with you. And I would add the joy. Would you pray with me? You're struggling for joy right now. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know for real who he is in your life? If you don't know Christ right now, in this quietness of this moment, why don't you just give your life to Him? God, I don't know all the right words to say, but here, here I go. I'm going to give my life over to you best I know how. I give you my sin, my hurts, my heartache, my life. Change me. I don't have any joy. I need it. I need salvation, and I need the joy that comes with it. So, Father, be that for me right now. I receive Christ. If you just prayed that prayer, you're a new creature. Maybe you already know Jesus. Maybe we just need to say, Father, forgive me for falling in love with this world. I purpose to fall in love with you. And Father, I'm going to seek peace instead of conflict. And I'm going to battle my anxiety. And I'm going to fill my mind with your truth and your word so that I walk in joy. And when those moments happen, the right things happen in my head. And the good things that are in me come out. And Father, we pray that in that moment, our joy would be so inexplicable that the world would sit up and go, hey, there's something to this Jesus thing. And we pray that to be done by the power of your might. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.